Good morning. Thanks, um, Roger and Sally, for that um, for leading worship this morning. And also, I've really enjoyed having the, um, the dramatisation of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Um, sometimes it's powerful, isn't it, to see a, a, fairly, a, a simple sketch um, carrying a very powerful point. And it's good because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This idea of forgiveness. We often say to small children, or we often find in small children, that sorry is the hardest word to say. <clears throat> often when they're completely in the wrong, when there's absolutely no doubt that they're the ones that have caused whatever situation has come to be, when they know and the parent knows and everybody around them knows that they just need to say sorry. And often you think, I'm making a really big deal out of this. This is a trivial situation. This is one minor indiscretion. Should I just let this go? But we don't. We, we, we say, no, just say sorry. And the child says, no. We say, just say sorry. No. Look, if you don't say sorry, you're not having an ice cream. No. <sighs> right, okay. If you don't say sorry, then you're not having a bedtime story. No. And it goes on and on. And eventually, the weight of things that they're prepared to sacrifice just to avoid saying sorry is staggering. And you think, wow. How can this small child be so stupid? God, fancy, fancy doing that. All those things you're prepared to sacrifice just for the sake of acknowledging that you're to blame for this situation. Now, unsurprisingly, that's um, not a rare situation in our household. We, we have, well, you know, it is fairly rare. Timothy's very, he's very good at saying sorry most of the time. But every now and then we do have these situations. And certainly when you go to children's parties and at school gate and things like that, you see these things being played out all the time. And you get this little glimpse into, into human nature. We don't like saying sorry. We don't like being wrong. We don't like acknowledging all the guilt that we carry, all the bad things that we do. Now, I'm not digging up the past and talking about things that, that, that have happened in the past, things that we have acknowledged, because the Bible says that as soon as we, we, we repent, we acknowledge our sin before God, then God takes it away from us. God relieves us of that. We might still carry it in our own minds, but God forgives us. Now, this morning, up at Perry Street, they, they've got, um, uh, well, this afternoon as well, there's, there's a mission day, isn't there? There's, um, they're hearing from um, uh, Matt and Lydia and... Um, uh, Dave and Priest, thank you. Sorry, the names went... Um, and they're getting an update on their work, which is brilliant. That'd be really interesting. And then this afternoon, after the picnic here, there's um, the, uh, Graham and Jackie White have opened their garden, so we, we can go and we can we can meet them and find out about their work and really get to know what's going on. It's, it's really good that as a church we support so many different mission workers, whether it's in this country in a local area or whether it's further afield to, to different corners of the world. That's that's a healthy thing to do. It's really good. That's one of the real strengths of this church, I believe. That we, that we can do that. But why? Why is mission important? 
You see, this morning I thought, um, because there's sort of um, free reign this morning, I, I was, I, there's nothing on the preaching plan, no passage, and I thought, oh, great, I can, I can choose. And that's always, that's always dangerous um, when they, when they give, give free reign. But um, I was going to talk about mission. And I was going to talk about the importance of mission and why, why mission is something that we support and why we should pour resources into it. So ultimately, what is mission? Well, mission is doing work through which we can share the gospel. It's bringing more people to Christ. It's reaching out, it's recognising needs in the world and with a Christian heart going and addressing those needs. And our motivation is because through that mission we are building God's kingdom. We, our, our prayer is that through the work we do, through the, um, w- the places that we go to, through the people that we meet, God will use us to build his kingdom. That our Christian work will be recognised. Now, of course, that can be done in very, very clear ways, like with Dave and Preeti and, and Matt and Lydia and various others who, who are in different corners of the world. They've given their lives to travelling and to, um, to, to going into some pretty awful situations often. They, they isolate themselves from friends and family and, and, um, and really put themselves at God's mercy. And traditionally, that was, that was mission. When we talk about missionaries going, going into deepest, darkest Africa or going over to India or, or going out to Australia, they were, they were taking the gospel to the far-flung corners of the world. Of course, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. That was the mission statement that he gave to his disciples and that is passed down to us through Scripture today. To go and make disciples of all nations. But... That was at a time, of course, when GPS wasn't around and atlases and maps weren't known and um, the, the earth was still flat. Now, of course, we know all about our world, don't we? We know where the far, far-flung corners are. You can jump on a plane and be there in a few hours. The world is, we often say, a much smaller place. So, mission is not just travelling. Mission is something that you and I do on our doorstep, even if we're not going out to every corner of the world, even if we're not taking ourselves purposefully into situations saying, this is my mission. Actually, we still have a mission. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost. Simple as that. He didn't travel that far in his lifetime. He stayed pretty much in the same area. He didn't go on an epic journey like Paul, and I know there's rumours that one summer he went to Glastonbury and that sort of thing, but that was just Victorian England struggling to cope with the fact that Jesus hadn't chosen England to come to, he'd gone elsewhere. Um, You know, there's no evidence for that. Jesus stayed in his local area, and yet he was the most effective missionary the world has ever known. So in a way, this morning, we are talking about mission, Because each and every one of us, in our daily lives, when when we're with friends and family, work colleagues and neighbours, wherever we happen to be, whatever we happen to be doing, in every conversation that we have, God can use us to build his kingdom. And therefore, we can see our lives as an ongoing mission. So why do we want to share the gospel with people? Ultimately, why do we want to tell people 
about God? Why do we want them to to see our good works, to question them and through that conversation find our motivation is Christ and and then explore that and through that conversation come to know him himself? Why, Why do we want that? Well, the reason, when we boil it down and boil it down and reduce it to its essence is because every single one of us, every single person in this world is created by God. God planned their life, God, God created them, knit them together in their mother's womb, as scripture says. Before that even happened, he knew what, what life held for us. He knew the choices we'd be faced with and the consequences of those choices, whatever we decided to do. He knows everything about us. And he loves us. He delights in, in, in watching us, just like a, a parent delights in watching a child. But there's a barrier. Because we all get things wrong. We all insist on, rightly or wrongly, whether, we, whether we're aware of it or not, on making certain choices that we want to, even though we know they're not right. And we all get ourselves into this situation where we know we're in the wrong. We know that we've messed things up in life. We know we've made mistakes. We've let people down. We've, we've made poor decisions. And we get to this point where we have to accept that there is a barrier between the perfect God and the fallen man. You see, if God accepted us into his kingdom as fallen, broken, sinful people, then the purity of God would be, would be polluted. It's a bit like if you take one drop of food colouring and drop it into a pint of water or a gallon of water and give it a little stir, the whole thing turns the colour of the food colouring, even though it's a tiny drop. It's not like the water washes the food colouring clean. It doesn't work like that. One pollutant in something pure and it's no longer pure. And so this is why we make such a, such a big thing about, about the need for forgiveness. This is why God makes such a big thing about the need for forgiveness. Because he desperately wants us to come into his kingdom, to be part of his kingdom. But in a fallen, broken, soiled state, that cannot be. And so, we find ourselves in the place of the small child. Just say sorry. No. Just say sorry. No, I'd rather not. No, I'm not going to acknowledge it. No, I'm going to go my own way. And God's saying, just say sorry. Just come back to me. Now, that's a very long introduction to the passages we're looking at this morning. And the passages themselves are very long, but don't worry, we're not going to read through the whole thing. This morning what we're going to be looking at, and I urge you, when you get home this afternoon, to to read two Psalms. They're next to each other in the Bible. Psalm 105, which Sally read from earlier, (coughs) and Psalm 106. Because we can learn something about forgiveness from these two Psalms.
Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 teach us about repentance and about forgiveness. You see, Psalm 106, we'll start with the, we'll start with the later one first. Because if you or I were writing the Psalms and, and we were to write a book of, um, uh, write two Psalms, one all about repentance, acknowledging our sin and, and holding our hands up and acknowledging um, the times that we've failed God, that we've let God down, that we've not honoured him. And then to write another psalm, acknowledging everything God's done for us, all the good things that he's done. We would probably number them in the order that we would rather, before we acknowledge everything God's done, we'd, we'd rather say sorry for what we've done. We would rather acknowledge all the times we've got it wrong, that we've let ourselves down. Because guilt plays on the mind. When we know we've failed God, when we know we've dishonoured him and we've, we've done something to disappoint him, no matter how small it is, that plays on the mind. And that can over, overwhelm us. And that can almost push out of our minds all the good things that God's done for us. In a typical day, I'll get to the end of a day, and I've noticed a habit in myself, and maybe this is just something I need to, need to work through, but I've noticed that often I begin my prayers, Lord, please forgive me. I've, I've said this, I've thought this, I've done this, I've, I've, I've angered this person, I've had this argument, I've said this to my wife, I've, I've, Lord, please forgive me. And then you try and, but Lord, thank you for these circumstances for this that happened, for this healing. Thank you for all the good stuff. The Bible, actually, <coughs> in the book of Psalms, it does it the other way around. The psalmist in Psalm 106 acknowledges all the failures, but only after, in 105, all the gracious blessings of God have been acknowledged. It's like a potted history of Israel. This is another reason why I'd encourage you to read it, because you can learn an awful lot about the scriptures through these two psalms. So Psalm 105, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So there's this outpouring of of just adoration of God. And then there's the, 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 the sort of the reasoning. Why? Why we should acknowledge him in this way. Remember the wonders he's done. His miracles, the judgments he pronounced. Descendants of Abraham, his servants. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Psalmist goes on to remember. He says, for a thousand generations, God has remembered the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. The psalmist talks of of Jacob, of God's promises of how when, when Israel was, was weak and suffering and few in number, God protected them, God blessed them. In verse 16 it says, He called down famine on the land <coughs> and destroyed all of their supplies. This was the, the, the enemies of, of Israel. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. 
till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. So we see this this protective God. The psalmist is remembering every detail from the scriptures of the number of times that, that Israel as a nation or individuals have needed God to look after them, to protect them. He's he's acknowledging that God has always been faithful to them, that God has never let them down, that yes, there have been bad times, but God has never abandoned them. And so he goes through briefly the narrative of Joseph. (coughs) Then he talks of Israel entering Egypt. He sent Moses, verse 26, he he sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen, They performed his miraculous signs among the Egyptians, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs. These are all the the, the, the plagues that that God poured out upon Egypt. The psalmist remembers. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold. And from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. So although the Israelites had been in in captivity, actually the the Egyptians were relieved when they left because God had had shown that he was so favourable to the Israelites. He looked after them. He had been protected, been faithful to them. He spread out as a cloud, as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked and he brought them quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. In Numbers 11 we talk about the the provision of manna every day that God poured out and and gave to the Israelites. We read about their moaning. They they had so much of the stuff they got fed up with it. And so eventually God sent quail, which wasn't his plan, but um, they learnt a lesson through it. Not a very pleasant one, but they learnt a lesson. He opened the rock and water gushed out like a river. It flowed in the desert. God brought life. He he provided for his people. He remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing. His chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations. They fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. So that's a psalm that's full of, full of acknowledgement. Looking back, and the psalmist is saying, God is so, so good. Praise the Lord. You know, when he begins by saying, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, that's the psalmist saying, let's not forget all the good things that God has done for us. Let's not feel sorry for ourselves. Let's not talk of God abandoning us and question why certain things are happening in the world because we can look back at the stories from history and see God's hand upon us. So Psalm 105 is a celebration of God's presence with the Israelites, even through the toughest times. When we look back in our lives, even in our history, do we make the mistake of seeing all the faults that have been made? Do we look back and... (coughs) I remember in history lessons at school when we sort of studied the First World War, it was a case of learning all the mistakes that people had made. 
how different situations could have been avoided, how different battles could have been, could have been won or even not entered into in the first place, when, when slaughter and, and, and bloodshed could have been stopped if someone hadn't have made the decision they made. But of course it's easy to look back through rose-tinted spectacles. It's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, they made an awful lot of mistakes. Or even in our own lives, well, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have made that decision. I shouldn't have, have lived that life. But here the psalmist says throughout all of our mistakes, throughout everything that we've done wrong, God has been faithful. We were in captivity. We were miserable. Joseph was was sold into slavery. But through all that, God was there. And so through what we're going through now, we can be sure God's in it. God's with us. And so the psalm acknowledges what God's done, the goodness of God. This is a psalm that we can read and remind ourselves that no matter what we're going through in our lives today, God is with us. Make no mistake, whatever circumstances we're in, whatever whatever is nagging away in the back of our minds at the moment, whatever is causing us that, that sick, stressy feeling in the pit of our stomach, it might be the Monday morning what faces us tomorrow at work or it might, be, it might be test results from the hospital or it might be other, a loved one who's, who's fallen ill. It could be anything. Whatever that thing is, God is with us in that. We have this relationship with our God which is such a privilege, which is, is unique. But... But, going back to what I said at the start of the service, for us to be effective people of God, we need to make sure that we're not like the Pharisee, standing, enjoying the failure of those around him, comparing himself to the tax collector. Because we can all find someone that we can compare ourselves to and say, well, actually, I'm not too bad. But in God's eyes, sin is binary. It's not a case of of stacking up. Either you have or you haven't. You know, binary, you either have a, a one or a zero. Well, the only person with a zero is Jesus. The only person never, ever to have sinned is Jesus. Every one of us Pharisee or tax collector, rich or poor, black or white, it doesn't matter, whoever we are. We all have a one in our column. And that's it. that means we've sinned. That's the barrier. As soon as that one is there, that's a barrier between us and God. The psalmist knew this. And so in Psalm 106, the psalmist begins, Praise the Lord. So he continues the theme of of praising and acknowledging God's goodness. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favour to your people. Come to my aid when you save them that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned. And there it is. 
He goes into a long explanation. It's not a personal confession. Personal confession is right. We should confess to God. This is a corporate confession. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. We've done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They didn't remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea. You see, despite everything that God had done, despite those things that in Psalm 105, um, those things that are acknowledged and given thanks for, that, got, um, that, that led to the point where the Egyptians were glad to get rid of their, their slaves, the Israelites... Despite that, the psalmist says, we didn't appreciate it. We didn't acknowledge it. We, didn't, we took it for granted, your miracles that saved us. How often do we do that? How often do we take things for granted? When We've all done it, haven't we? When there's been a situation that we're slightly, slightly concerned about, slightly worried about. I remember in my very first job, there was, um, uh, there was a client who was particularly awkward and um, I, was, I was an insurance broker, nothing particularly interesting. Um, there was a client who was quite awkward and quite rude on the phone and I, t- I just tried to avoid talking to the guy whenever I could. Um, he was the um, uh, chief finance officer of a medium-sized company um, but he thought it was the bee's knees, thought it was absolutely, you know, God's gift to the world and, um, and he wasn't. Um, no more so than anybody else's. But you see, there was a, 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 some documents that were supposed to have been sent out to him. And um, I'd gone away on holiday for two weeks and before I went I had a stack of stuff to do and I hadn't sent this thing out to him. And um, while I was away there was a, um, a, a contract that his company were bidding for and they needed to show that they had everything they need, needed for their insurances. And because I hadn't sent him this documentation he couldn't do that. And... Um, I went away and knew nothing about it. When I got back, there was about 60 or 70 emails on this subject and he, he got in touch with my boss and said, look, can this be done? And, and I, I sort of got in on Monday morning and before my boss had got in, I was fairly early and I sat and I read through and you know you just get that, that your just heart just sinks and you think, oh no, oh, I've come back. The high of holiday in, a, in an instant just gone. You suddenly think, oh, I wish I hadn't gone away. If I'd been there when he, when he made that phone, I could have sent it off. And, oh, no. And I, I, was really, I was really worried about it. Really worried about it. Because this is, you know, this is quite a big thing. And he'd sort of said you know, how dissatisfied he was, how he's you know, going to be looking at other brokers. And I thought, oh, no, I've, I've lost a client. I can't believe it. Anyway, my boss was late in that morning. He got in about 11 o'clock and then he had a meeting. Then he went to lunch. Um, and then uh, uh, in, the, in the afternoon... Um, eventually about three o'clock I spent the whole day worrying really worrying about this because I thought there's been more senior people copied into emails people know that I've, that I've really dropped the ball on this one this is not good we're losing an account this, is all, this reflects so badly I'd only been in a job for about eight months and I didn't feel particularly secure about three o'clock my boss said Tom should we uh, just go into the meeting room and just have a catch up on stuff that's happened the past couple of weeks I said, yeah, okay. So anyway, went into this meeting room and sat down and um, I just said, look, I know what you're going to say. 
I know what you're going to say. Um, I really dropped the ball on on this account. I hadn't sent this stuff out. Um, I've, I've, I've got it. I've, I've really made a mistake there. I've seen all the emails. I'm just. I'm so sorry. I know that's not. It's a bit late for that. And anyway, I went into this long explanation, and he just sat there, and then he said, "Don't worry about it." I said, "What do you mean, don't worry about it?" I said, "Of course I'm worrying about it. I've seen. I've seen everything." He said, "Oh, this boat's a pain in the backside." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I know, but even so, he's threatening." He said, "To be honest, Tom, he takes up so much of our time." that client isn't worth having. If we lose it, don't worry about it. He said, he said, he said I've, got, I've got the stuff from the underwriter, I've sent it off to him, he's still moaning, he's still having a go, we can't, we can't be dealing with people like that, so if we lose that account, fine, don't worry about it. Anyway, other stuff you've missed is blah, 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 and he went into it, all brought me up to speed, and that was it. Now, I had spent that morning praying and praying and praying that I wasn't going to get a get um, a disciplinary, that I wasn't going to um, lose my job, that I wasn't going to uh, suffer for it. I was really praying. After that conversation, I thought, God, dear, I was so worried about that. Oh, well, that's, that's great, excellent, right, let's move on. And I didn't, I didn't look back and say, Lord, thank you. I took for granted that God had gone before me, that God had, had cleared my path. In that morning, those hours ticked by. They were so slow. And every time I saw my boss, and he was like, right, I'm off to a meeting now. And he didn't, there was no how's your holiday or anything. I thought, oh, no, he's, he's got the real hump with me. This is not going, this is not going to end well. What, oh, what am I going to do? What is going to happen? It's going to take a long time to repair this damage. I was reading into it and getting all stressed out. God had gone before me. God had smoothed that path. And I didn't take the time to do what the psalmist has done here and looked back and said, Lord, I did make a mistake. I did get it wrong. But you were there for me. That's a very trivial example. That's a very trivial example. And many people will have so many bigger examples in life of, of times when they've, they've, they've recognised that God has gone before them and, and smooth situations that at the start of the situation they couldn't see a way through. But it's important. It's important that we look back at our lives and acknowledge before God when we've got things wrong. Even if the circumstances change and life isn't as bad as we thought it would be. Because God is the one that changes the circumstances. God is the one that rights our wrongs. God is the one that goes before us and protects us and looks after us. As the psalmist talks through the history of the Israelites... He recognises the number of times that, that despite the Israelites' ignorance, God never, ever deserted them. You just get this feeling that actually sometimes we need to do this. We need to almost write down, almost like a, a personal psalm, whether it's going back through history or whether it's just personally going back over our past week to say, Lord, despite the fact that I know you were with me. I've dishonoured you, I've failed you, and I've let you down. Lord, forgive me. But of course, then, we should write another psalm and say, despite who I am, God, you have never given up on me. I'm still going, I'm still fighting, I've got another chance today to put things right, to make things good, because you've given it. 
because you've blessed me. You see, we, should, we, can, we can become so obsessed with, with, uh, with repentance. We can be, scum, be, be so overwhelmed with guilt that actually we do the Psalm 106 before we do the Psalm 105 and it pollutes us. Repentance, seeking repentance is a privilege. Seeking repentance is a worshipful act. Because when we seek repentance, we're acknowledging God's sovereignty. We're acknowledging the headship of God. We're putting him at the centre of our lives. We're saying, God, there is nothing more important than, than having a pure relationship with you. And so for that reason, Lord, I'm confessing what I've done. I'm repenting of my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me so that I can once again enjoy that relationship with you. There are so many people in the world that are like that little child. God says, just come to me, just say sorry. No, that you can have eternity. You can have eternity with me if you, if you just say sorry. No, no, I'm not doing it. They refuse to. And God says, but you're, you're prepared to sacrifice so much just because you don't want to say that one word, just because you don't want to acknowledge your wrongs. Our mission our mission is to try to show everybody that we meet, everybody that we speak to, everybody that comes in and out of our lives, to show them just how much they could gain if they just humbled themselves like that tax collector and said, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I get things wrong but you are my God and I am yours. So as we go out into this week, let's remember that that is our mission. We don't have to go to the far-flung corners of the world and, and, and change, change lives on a huge scale because actually we can do that right here in Billericay. We can do that whatever we're doing this afternoon or tomorrow or during this week. We can change people's lives by bringing them to Jesus by showing them that because of what he did on the cross, they just need to say one simple word. And suddenly, they can gain so much. So this might not have been a particularly mission-focused sermon, but I hope that it has given some food for thought about the difference that we can make in our lives as missionaries of God.